Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. 306 DGS on KMOX. Can I tell you something? You know how uh, you kind of lose abilities, you know, as life goes on? I have lost the ability to read fiction. I used to love reading fiction, and uh, it's not like I read. Well, it's not, that's not true. I do read a lot of nonfiction, but it's it's more like self helpy kind of why am I screwed up kind of books. Uh, but I bought one. I went to the bookstore, and it's called The Wager, which is the name of a ship, and it's uh, supposed to be a real story about back in the clipper ship times and all this. And I swear to God, I made it three pages. It was like, oh, and then uh, Captain Wheeler stepped on board, and he was a strapping young man from Arr. Baltimore, and I'm like, <laughs> don't care. And I, I knew what it was. I know what it is. I'm into that era. I like clipper ships. I like stories. I just don't have the patience. Point of procedure, though. I can though. feel you there. You said that it was, you said you can't read fiction, but then you said it's a real story that you were trying to. So well, maybe I mean, it's, it's that you fictionalized. Can't read. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna say maybe nonfiction is the problem. It was historical fiction that you were reading. Yeah, I don't like the way you guys are coming at no. me. No, 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 I'm not trying to come at you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Read. No, no, no. But we're just asking you to explain yourself. Read. Just trying to drill down on the issue. Maybe you just went into fighting posture. He's like, what? Well, I'm trying to tell you I can't read. You're trying to tell me I can't. He's like in a ninja state. Have you tried? Have you tried audiobooks? Yeah, even worse. Even worse. Really? Even worse because it's I like can see that. I mean, you guys know me. I I want things at my own pace, which mm-hmm. is pretty quick. It's so slow. And they're just like Yeah. <laughs> what a lot of people do is they do the audiobooks and they put them on like one yeah. and a half or double speed. I've heard of this. I've not tried that. That would make me crazy. There are people who listen to our podcast at like 1.25 times oh, man. speed. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. I bet I sound terrible at 1.5 speed. What if you sped it, really sped it up and we all sound like the chipmunks? How great would this show be if we sounded like the chipmunks? Speaking of fighting stance, Andrew and Wheeler had the dumbest <laughs> argument of all time about whether you should throw away the silverware oh, just- <laughs> from our office because it's all nasty after you use it. And uh, and Wheeler was just pounding him, pounding him, making points. And as Andrew walked out the door, here was his parting shot. Well, la-di-da. <laughs> la-di-da. The- Andrew was calling majesty. him like, oh, your majesty. And yeah. <laughs> Kevin's like. Because I'm not willing to waste metal silverware. I'm. 
being royal? <laughs> and he was like, well, doesn't that prove that I am not majestic? He said majestic. Majestic. <laughs> That was when I was like, I don't even know if I can continue. I think I was, but you were telling me I was the opposite of what I was being. Right. I was being the conserve the planet. I don't need to throw this away. I can wash it. I guess More I'm, of like the minion type than the royal type. Yeah. I guess I'm your majesty. I, yeah, you are. I get the inclination to not want to use the silverware, but I don't think the solution is to throw it in the trash. Did you notice, <laughs> by the way, all the forks and knives were gone? I'm sorry. Yeah, the forks and spoons were gone. Yeah, because they're not in there anymore. Away. Why are people throwing them away? Because they're terrible people. <laughs> just wash them. Not yeah. me, because I'm not. I don't actually use them. I, use, I mean, they uh, do go in the dishwasher, and if they're still not perfect, just wash them again after that. They're the soap and they stuff. Uh, this is. Uh, we're gonna do stairway here, but this is an addendum to a story that Wheels did last week, and it's terrible. Uh, it's an allegation, but it's a serious one. The head of the GOP in Florida. Who whose wife was one of the co-founders of the Moms for Liberty who mm-hmm. like banning books. So they were going to hook them horns uh, in a threesome with this lady. Uh, we're going to. Had been for a long time, apparently. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Ooh, okay. That was the story. Okay. Well, as I understood it, uh, they had a plan. And then the guy, the head of the GOP, said, oh, my wife can't make it. How about if I... Just you and me. Oh. And the lady said, no, she's actually the one I was more interested in. Oh. And then, so I thought, I was picturing like, you know, they're all somewhere and it just went bad. Okay. The wife said, oh, I can't do it. And the husband said to the the new ingenue, uh, how about just you and me? She said, no, thank you. I'm more interested in your wife. Uh-huh. He shows up at her house. Oh. Uh, and according to her, rapes her. Oh. Wow. So it's not even like, it wasn't great when it was just like, oh, this. The hypocrisy of everything. This yeah. uh, menage a trois went badly. This was like a oh. knock, 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 who's there kind of thing. Oh. Yeah. Wow, that's terrible. That's a bad term. Right? Yeah. Right? Just awful. <laughs> Don't like. Good luck on stairway. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Not, you got some funny. At least stairway? this is not jokey. No, it it, has, it it is actually interesting because we talk about the national debt all the time, and I don't understand. Uh, well, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't think I don't think any yeah. of us really do. But I, I came across this audio, Rach. I think it's on there. I'm not sure. It might be just saying just say the debt or Wheeler debt or something like that. But this explains a couple of things. Not the entire thing. Not a solution to things. But a couple of things about the national debt that get left out of the more hyperbolic discussions of it. It's not the dollar amount that you worry about. It's actually the size of the debt in comparison to our GDP. And right now, our debt is 129% the size of our current GDP. We had something like this back during World War II. In World War II, our debt was 120% the size of our GDP, and then eventually it shrunk down. Who does the United States actually owe all of this debt to? First thing you should know is that about 20% of our debt is intragovernmental. So it's held by government agencies like Social Security. About 18% of that debt is owned by the Federal Reserve. 27% of our debt is held by other public investors like Vanguard, Fidelity, all of these big banks, very wealthy people in the United States. 25% of our total government debt is actually owed to other countries. China owns maybe 2.5% of that debt, which means that over 75% of our total debt is owned internally. By the United States. There is no calling in our debt early. China can't do that. Japan can't do that. No country on earth 
can call in our debt early because they are holding assets that have a maturity date. So a two-year bond will mature in two years. That's when they can call in their debt. Same thing with a 10-year. So I thought that was interesting because you hear a lot about, well, what if all of our creditors call it? Well, they're not. They can't. They have contracts. These are bonds that they've purchased that mature after a period of time. So they can't just be like, pay me now, bro. But I also thought it was interesting because how many times have you heard recently we're we're in debt to China. They owe two. They own two and a half percent. I'm glad to hear that of our debt, which is nothing, and we probably own a large portion of theirs. Also, and I'm sure there's a very good answer for this. But if 75 percent of the trillions that we owe is internal, what would stop us from either just going uh, ali ali oxen free? We don't owe anything, <laughs> or minting the famous trillion dollar coin that uh, they've talked about doing now for a long time. Yeah. So that, and by the way, that. That economist, whose name I'm spacing on, is not saying that the debt is not a, it, that the debt's okay. It's a good thing. That is not the point. The point is that it's often misunderstood yep. and intentionally misrepresented mm-hmm. um, because it, you'll hear people like, "We've never had a debt like this before." But actually, we have because if you look at it as a percentage of the GDP, which is the proper yep. way to look at it, not just the raw number, because all raw numbers are bigger now than they were at any point in the past. Pick a time in the past. The raw numbers were never as big. Nobody, the, the average household income was not as big. The cost of a home, the cost, nothing was as big. The numbers were not. So when you just look at the number, yeah, that's intentionally done to scare people. That is intentionally done to piss people off. Interesting. But when you look at it as a percentage, it's still not good. Yeah. It's still not what you want. But as he pointed out, it was like this around World War II and then a boom happened, and it it basically dropped off the face of the earth. It dropped down to where you would like it to be, which is a much lower percentage of the GDP. Can I piggyback? Uh, Kevin O'Leary, who I hate, he is a TV financial guy yeah. who made uh, waves about six months ago by saying, your family doesn't count, your kids don't count, nothing counts but being rich. And then he doubled down. He just came out and in typical Kevin O'Leary fashion said, you need $5 million to retire minimum to even make it, which would give you about $300,000 a year in interest income. And I just hate him because that's the kind of thing that people with tons of money say Mm -hmm. when the vast majority of us have no hope. (laughs) Of saving a million, much less five million, and for this a hole to to put it out there and make ninety nine percent of people feel like losers. Now, if you want to live on three hundred thousand dollars a year for the rest of your life, then okay, mathematically that may be true. Right. I don't know many people who that's their realistic goal. No, they're not living that now. How could you expect to live that in retirement? Yeah. Right. I mean, I like. The idea, of course. And I don't think he's saying it in a helpful way. No. It's no, purely a It's a flex. flex. Yeah. 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 It's absolutely, I'm rich, guys, look at me. That's how that goes. I mean, like, because the idea is at some point, your expenses are going to drop off too, right? You know, some people pay off their home, so you don't have to pay a mortgage or rent. Uh, your If your car is paid off, you don't have that. A lot of other things go, you're not paying for your kids anymore. They're grown as you get to that point of retirement. So the idea is you don't need as much as you currently make because you're not spending as much in real time. Now, there are many formulas to it. 
we have a good money person, and I don't have to decide all that myself. But I know this. The number five million has never come up. Andrew. <laughs> I got you covered, Kim. It's his majesty, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> he said down once a month, he's like, well, la-di-da. Yeah. Well, your majesty, <laughs> I didn't realize. But never once has the number five million come up. Yeah. As a necessity. Right. I'm sure the more you have, the better you're going to live. Of course. But that's, that's how it is in pre-retirement. I'm sure to someone who has 500 million, if they got down to five million, they'd be pooping water. <laughs> yes. But for the rest of us, if we ever had five million, we'd be like... I've got five. <laughs> yeah. We'd whisper all the time. <laughs> Every day. Welcome back, guys. DGS uh, Winter Meetings going on. We have Matt Polly and Michael Claiborne covering it for us. Uh, Polly joins us now. What's up, Matt? Not much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. So, a uh, very interesting day. As I understand it, you guys know infinitely better than I do. But John Mosellock, uh, who is typically very close to the vest, very closed mouth, uh, mentioned a couple names today. And uh, so that was very interesting. Kind of uh, elucidate that for us, if you will. Yeah, I don't know if he's close to the vest. I don't know if that's how I would describe him, but he is not somebody who throws names out that are currently on the roster that they are actively looking to trade. And that's what he did today. He mentioned Tyler O'Neill specifically. He uh, was talking about the outfield group, and he named who the top four outfielders are. And then kind of unprompted, he went on to say, and with Tyler O'Neill, we're, uh, we're looking to see if we can move him. And there's a lot of interesting things about this. First off, he was a starting outfitter for the Cardinals last year. Second thing is they just tendered him a contract not that long ago uh, at the tender deadline, what, a month ago. So they're on the hook for $10, $11 million for him this year if they can't work out a trade. Uh, but they've they, they stated publicly now mm. that they are looking to move on from Tyler O'Neill. Uh, to either one of you, do we know how much interest there is in Tyler O'Neill out there? <sighs> uh, I mean, there has to be enough that you tender him. Like, that's the yeah, big thing here. Yeah. When you when you tender him a contract, you're again, if you don't get a trade done, you're on the hook for the $10, $11 million, and that's a lot of money for yeah. somebody that you don't want. You if, don't want, yeah. If I'm reading into this, there, there's that part, and then the fact that you're saying it out loud on the radio, on MLB Network Radio, means you know you have offers. Okay. I mean, you're not going to be saying that if you don't know for sure that you're going to be able to deal him. The only question we all have is, what's the return, right? I mean, there are plenty of teams that would take a gamble on a guy who has won a gold glove as a left fielder, who could hit 30 home runs, who's got elite speed and all of that. They may not be willing to gamble one of their best prospects on it, though, for one year of a guy coming off a terrible 2023. So I think it's pretty clear that they're telegraphing to us that they know they have deals, mm-hmm. but we just don't know like what level that is, and maybe they're just waiting to see if somebody comes in with a better one. How much, uh, to your knowledge, both of you, is this purely skill and talent? Do we think we can do better? We're comfortable with the outfield without Tyler O'Neill, And how much is more like the Ali Marmol, like I don't think he tries as hard as he should? I think it's all the above to a certain extent. I just, it seems things have natural endings. And I think we've hit the point where we have got to the natural ending of Tyler O'Neill as a Cardinal. He, okay, if he goes out and hits 30 home runs and drives in 100 every year, obviously he makes the team better. But he hasn't done that now in a few years. And when you look at the outfield group, uh, with Lars Newtbar, with Jordan Walker, probably with Tommy Edmond, maybe with uh, Dylan Carlson, Alec Burleson, Richie Palacios. I, it, it just doesn't seem like at this point that a Tyler O'Neill is 
actually making you that much better. And Matt, having never been where you are, I don't know if this is a, a dumb question, but is there a vibe? Is there an energy that you can pick up in any way down there? No. It's just a <laughs> bunch of people milling around. It's a huge place, right? It's at yeah. Opryland. It's like million square feet, so it's like spread out. I just I learned earlier. So the uh, the Oakland A's have their version of us, kind of just to my right, mm-hmm. and I, I I'm stealing this from them. I heard them say it earlier, so I assume it's correct. This is the largest hotel in the United States that does not have a casino attached to it. Oh, did not know that. Uh, this place is huge. Matt, thirty seconds or less. Your take on what happened with college football playoffs over the weekend. It stinks. It just stinks for Florida State. They did. The committee probably got the teams that were better than Florida State in there, but Florida State did enough to deserve to be in there. It's just there's there, there's no right answer here. And wheels, that's what your opinion as well, right? I mean, yeah, I think that we'll get a better game in the playoffs with Michigan and Alabama, but that's not the point. The point is, a team won all of their games from one of the Power Five conferences that all agreed that they're going to be a part of this college football playoff. And making the arbitrary subjective decision versus the more objective, what have you done, is a dangerous way to go. But it's going to be irrelevant in the future because this won't happen again because there's going to be a 12-team playoff. Thank you, Matt Pauly. We appreciate it. You bet. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 336 DGS on KMOX. Dave Murray joins us. Hello, Dave. Hello there. I have a big, giant existential question. Can we do it? Hey, why not? All right. So get what you get, though. Uh, I think we would all agree that in many, many ways, we're living in the very best time ever in the history of the world because of all the technology and we as a species. And this is coming from I watched this Nova special and it was about uh, the earth and how it was formed and it goes through all the civilizations and all this stuff. And it is amazing how we have been so incredibly successful at creating technology, especially in the last couple of hundred years, philosophy, 
Uh, we now understand a lot more about mental illness and brain diseases, and we know a lot of stuff. And maybe I just watch too much TikTok and cable news, but it hits me that we really haven't evolved very far in just interpersonal niceness. Now, I know that in the Middle Ages and before, like, you could just hit a guy in the face with a rock and no consequences. So, yes, it was a more dangerous world back then. But just as far as the way we treat each other, the way we relate to each other, uh, I'm thinking about interpersonally. I'm thinking about Gaza, Israel. I'm thinking about China. Do you think that we have far and away evolved technologically and philosophically more than we have just interpersonally thoughts. Yeah, I agree with you, Dave. I think that I think there are people out there who have evolved emotionally and I think we have more resources to like therapy and psychological help and stuff like that. But so many people don't seek that out or can't afford to seek it out or whatever. I I do think we are still in the dark ages sometimes when it comes to conflict resolution or uh, just getting in a fight. Like the, yeah. the fights people get into online and stuff, it's like, oh, is this really what you want to be doing? Is this really the way you want to handle this? But for some people, that's just the way they conduct themselves. So. Why are we so like that by nature? Like why is our nature fighty? Why is it punchy? I'm like, well, is I mean, it based to do on with protection, the special I just watched, that's kind of why we're here in the Neanderthals. That's aren't. exactly right. You know, like we made a joke last last week, I think it was, but like the <laughs> Denisovans were literally eight feet tall and Neanderthals could bench press a thousand pounds, but we were mean. <laughs> you know, like we surprised. Well, them. Smart and aggressive. Smart and right? aggressive, yeah. But we played the, I think we played the audio from uh, the, the British dude, uh, Butler. He's a physicist and he's looked into like, like he was, oh no, that was the audio about what is anger and anger is a survival tool, right? If somebody takes from, something from it, right. And you're trying to get balance back. I think the answer to the question is I like modern people. We want, we love to say that we're inherently good, but I'd say it's maybe the opposite that it takes discipline and focus and thought to be good where the instinct is to be selfish, not necessarily bad but selfish, right? Because that's the survival instinct. That's how we are, what we are. It's why we're the dominant force. Because we're not the biggest. We're not the strongest. We're not the fastest. We're not the elite of any physical thing as a species. But smart and mean is a pretty good combination. Or at least mean might even be the wrong interpretation. It might just be the wiring is survival. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. As opposed to like we think of it as mean, we think of it as angry, we think of it as negative, but it's more about just making sure that the species continues. Well, I'm sure most of it is a response to fear. Yeah. And fear is all about survival, too. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, anger is the you you know, you're seeking out that balance. But then the other therapy speak thing you'll hear a lot is that anger is a secondary emotion. And a lot, I mean, every time you're angry, you can kind of slow down and ask yourself like, well, why am I feeling angry? Is it because I feel afraid? Is it because I feel hurt? Is it because I feel uh, slighted? You know, there's always like a deeper layer there. 
But I just feel like that's not something that's taught in schools. I'm not saying it should be taught in schools. I think it should be taught by your parents. But a lot of people just don't have that toolbox. So how are they going to pass that on to their children? It's interesting what you said, Wheels. So I don't think that we are naturally born serial killers. Right, right. But I also don't think we're naturally born good guys. I know in my own personal life, and I'm sure that everyone out there can relate, when I believed I was inherently good, I pulled a lot of stuff I'm ashamed of. And it took me going, well, I guess I'm not altogether inherently good, am I? Maybe I should get on top of this thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I grew up thinking, like, well, sure, I'm not a bad guy. I'm inherently good. I'm not one of them not robbing banks, not killing people. Uh, but then you find yourself making decisions that you look back on and go, I didn't know I could do that. I should probably figure this out. And maybe on a macro scale, that's kind of what we do generation after generation. And, and I think that what makes us special compared to everything else on Earth that, we, that we're aware of because we can't really get into the minds of any other animals is that we, we understand that our basest instincts are not necessarily good for the group. And we try to fight them and we try to be different than that and go... Generally speaking, like not everybody, not everybody's the same. Some people don't care at all about other people. Other people maybe care more than they than they should for their own good. But we're the only ones that we are aware of that can can fight our natural instincts to that, survive. That's Again, interesting survive. about the group because most of us, I think, want to be a part of the group. Yeah. yeah. And if I do X Y Z, I'm not going to be a part of this group, whether it's a family or a business or just the humanity. Then there are people who are only interested in the group to get power. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. they, they couldn't care less about the group. They'll just manipulate the group so that they can be over the group. Yeah. All right. I think we did. I think we handled that pretty wow. well. I think so. All right. I learned so much from this show. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so interesting weather week, Dave. It's going to get uh, pretty warm. Yeah, it, it, it's back and forth. Uh, we're in a strong northwest flow. A weak little system's coming by. Really, almost first thing in the morning tomorrow, it will really kick in the northwest flow. There could be a spot of light rain, even a wet snowflake. Really, towards morning on Tuesday, we'll go down to 35. Tuesday's one of these changeable sky days where we're going to see some sun, but we're also going to see a fair amount of clouds. It's windy. In fact, some wind gusts of 35 miles per hour mm. tomorrow. It's chilly. 48 for the high. It's going to feel colder than that. And that 48 hits about 11 a.m. or so. And then we'll drop a slow drop through the 40s on Tuesday afternoon. Coldest of the week is Tuesday night down to 28. Wednesday is still chilly. Lots of sunshine, though. Light winds, 48. 35 Wednesday night. Then the warm-up, it's a two-day warm-up, Thursday and Friday. It's not in the nighttime. It's not first thing in the morning. That will stay chilly. But Thursday and Friday, partly sunny skies at about 60 to 65 degrees each afternoon. And that warmth is primarily from about noontime to 3 o'clock. So it's about a three-hour window where we'll feel 60 to 65 degrees. But it should feel pretty good. Another system, a stronger system that's still out in the Pacific, comes in on Saturday. It looks like a, a mainly a rainmaker. It could be a pretty solid rain, but it could end as a little sloppy wet snow late Saturday night into early Sunday morning. 
comparison temperature wise 58 on saturday 42 for the high on sunday so there's a lot going on this week weather wise dave anything at all on the horizon challenging your thoughts that we're probably looking at a green christmas uh, I, I still think it's a green Christmas, uh, that it, it, it's way, way out there, obviously, yeah. you know, challenge wise, you know, the, the stuff coming in on Saturday, again, mainly rain, but if there is one, two or three hours of wet snow, mm. that's, that's interesting, but mm-hmm. that's a long, long way out. Can I mention one thing? Yeah. I saw Jess and I went to see Jake Sharon Bucaro last night. He is a master ukulele player. And I know everybody goes, ah, oh, ukulele. <laughs> He's like the Eddie Van. <laughs> we He's all like the- just look at each other. Yeah. He is like the Eddie Van Halen of the hmm. ukulele. Oh. He is incredible. Uh, and uh, he's going to be in St. Louis on December 12th. Just a little plug here at the City Winery. If you get a chance, you really should see this guy. You know, what? He, one thing that just really surprised me, he plays basically solo, but he has a bass guitarist with him, and he also has a guy who does some vocals. But he has this mechanism that he controls on stage where he'll play. The best way I can do it, he wrote a piece that involved a, a symphony orchestra, the lead violinist of a symphony orchestra of, from Honolulu. He played the right hand. He, so he said it was written for a piano, right hand, left hand. He'd play the, the right hand, and then that would be recorded live on stage, and then he would play it again, but play the left hand with the right hand being played as a live recording. Yeah, like a loop. Like a loop. Yeah, but it's real I, he controls it all though on the stage and he had one piece of music that he had about four or five different recordings that he recorded live right in front of you and and built that song all the way up to about six different pieces by himself. It was just phenomenal to watch. There are a lot of rock stars, guitarists uh, I'm thinking of George Harrison in particular, who became obsessed with the ukulele, like later, yes. later yeah. in their life. Yeah, he and Tom Petty used to get together and play play all the time. That's yep. cool. I think this guy has has probably played with George Harris. He's played with everybody. He, who, yeah, who's, he is. Uh, who's the guy, Dave? Uh, Hawaiian uh, Israel. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, brother is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did Did you ever get to see him play? No, no. Yeah, he died very early in his life. Uh, that that would have been great. That would have been awesome to see him in concert. Very cool. All right, Dave. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, already. All right, Rach. Vaping or cringy stuff? You pick. Let's talk about vaping. So, um, Gen Z is infamous for for vaping, and I'm sorry. I feel like I'm always picking on Gen Z. Part of the reason is I think as a millennial, I was picked on so much in the yeah. media. And now I'm continuing the cycle of abuse. Get <laughs> but there's also like a million articles about them every day. Uh, and Gen Z loves to vape. Uh, the vape numbers seem to go up every year. And it doesn't seem like they want to quit for health reasons. But one thing that is inspiring tons of Gen Z people to put their vapes down is uh, they've, they're learning about these cobalt mines in the Congo and how children work in these mines. And that's how they get stuff to make our computers, our phones and stuff like that. But the disposable vapes is a big thing. So in mass, people are pledging on social media mm. to stop vaping to help the people of the Congo. I thought that was kind of cool. I wonder if they really will. I always doubt those things. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you might intend it's wonderful, to. but it just seems like, you know, best laid plans. 
What's the cringy thing? Oh, this is just a list from BuzzFeed on things that are socially normalized but are actually pretty cringy. Things like dancing for a TikTok or filming yourself in public. I mean, I think we can all kind of fill in the blanks with these kind of things. Things that we've can some of us have convinced ourselves are normal, but in reality, the rest of the population is looking at you and rolling their eyes. You really shouldn't film yourself in public. That's just you just shouldn't do it. It's just it's never a good look. Well, I mean, if it's rude to talk on the phone in public, then imagine like talking at yourself into a camera. Yeah, the whole speakerphone in public thing would be one of those. Mm -hmm. Like that's not okay when you're standing in line somewhere. I was at. I don't know if I mentioned this, but I was while 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 back I was doing something. I had a, I was getting maybe it was with the dude we were doing the stripes at at Weber, but I went I walked down to the McDonald's and there was a woman in there who was playing her own music out loud on her phone over the top of the normal music, and I'm like, well, that's not okay, and I don't understand cool. like that. Like that's why? Cool. I like that. So yeah. it used to be that. You would err on the side of being polite. Right. Now I think it's more you err on the side of doing what you want. And if someone calls you out on it, then you deal with it. Uh, It seems like it's like that for some people, for sure. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 